So let me set today's message up like this. There's a, we've talked about this before um, in this church, but there's a lie that exists in American culture that says if you believe in yourself and you try really, really, really hard, you can accomplish anything you want in life. How many of you know that's not true? How many of you? All right, half of us know that's not true. The other half are like, ah, I don't know. The, the reason why we raise our hands, the reason why we know that it's not true, and you've heard me talk about this before, is because we've watched the American Idol and The Voice. We watch the, you know why we watch these shows, especially American Idol? Because of the auditions, right? Because somebody told those people, if you believe in yourself and you try really, really hard, Johnny, you, you can sing. You could be the next American Idol. And then they get up there and sing, and they get rejected because it sounds like a cat dying in a hailstorm. Am I right? Listen, if I believed in myself and tried really, really, like it doesn't matter. Like, like if you're here and you're an engineer, not like a choo-choo train engineer, but like a, a mechanical engineer or a chemical engineer, I couldn't do what you do. You know why? I suck at math. Well, Ryan, if you work really hard, no, no. No, because numbers are numbers, and then you guys start putting letters next to them, and like, no, I couldn't do it. If you try hard, no, I can't. Some of you are so talented in things that you do. Like, you can sing, you can play an instrument, you can do construction. Like, there's all kinds of talent that you have. For me, I had to learn that no matter how much I believed in myself, no matter how much I tried, I could never be a professional athlete. I was never going to be an accountant. Can you even believe at one time I wanted to be a veterinarian? Can you see that? Me, working on your cat. <laughs> Honey, we're going to have to go to Des Moines. Like, I, I just wouldn't... I, I learned a long time ago, seriously, that when we tell our kids, just believe in yourself, and try really hard, and you can co- accomplish anything, that is actually doing them a disservice. And so, I was thinking just a couple weeks ago, what if... Like, like, what if instead of telling people to believe in themselves, because I'm going to be honest with you, I have a hard time believing in me, and here's why. Nobody has lied to me, hurt me, or cheated me more than me. If I were to punch the person in the face responsible for the most pain in my life, it would be like the end of Fight Club where you realize dude's just been punching himself the entire time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, because you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. But anyway, so instead, it's first rule. Instead of me believing in what I could do, like what if we started believing, what if we started telling our kids, or what if we started believing for ourselves, not what we could do, but what God can do? What if we started believing not in what we could accomplish, but what the power of God working in us and through us could accomplish? Because see, the lie is believe in yourself and you could accomplish anything. The truth is, according to scripture, according to the power of God working in you and through you, you can accomplish anything in the world that he has called you to. You really can. With the power of God working in you and through you, You can accomplish anything in the world that he has called you to accomplish. And the reason I would ask you this, and I'll show you this in a little while, but the reason I would ask you to trade in your plans for God's plans is because God's plans are way bigger than your plans. And so today, I want to challenge all of us, instead of just believing in ourselves, I want to to challenge you with the question of, what would happen if you really did believe in the power of God working in you and through you? Don't you believe that that could turn into something that would be immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Now, in order to do that, I want to show, the, show you this through the Christmas story. And in order to set up the Christmas story, I, I want to start out by talking about the manger scene. 
Everybody at the manger scene was messed up. I know we see pictures like that and we're like, oh, that's so pretty. And you got a manger scene at your house and you got it set up. L- little side note, um, we'll talk about these guys in a second, but the, the wise men right there, the kings, they weren't there. They, they weren't. And so if you ever like call me over to your house, ask me, invite me. This is why people don't invite me over to their house. But if I come over and you got your manger scene set up and the wise men are there, expect to find them behind your toilet. Um, but anyway, because th- they're not there. But also... The manger scene that you have in your house, the manger scene that I have in myself, it, it's, it's not that pretty. You, you know why? You, you know why? Because animals were there. And animals are messy, aren't they? What do animals do? What do they do? Come on, shout it out. They poop. And ain't nobody got poo-poo and pee-pee manger scene at their house, right? And if you do, that's messed up. Send me a picture. I want to see it. The manger scene was messy. The people at the manger scene are messy, and they're jacked up. And by the way, a little side note, the little drummer boy wasn't there neither. He wasn't. Like, he's not in Scripture. He does not belong. Get him out. The song is cool. Like, I like the song. I like when we do the song here. But listen, if you're a mom who's ever had a kid, you'll understand it's 100%. Because you get that baby to sleep, little boy shows up with a drum, rum-pum-pumping. He's going to need a proctologist to get them drumsticks out, Right? The manger scene is messed up. And so I want to talk about these wise men. I want to talk about it because because we, we call them kings. There's the song, We Three Kings. We don't even really know if they were kings. Um, we don't know a ton about them. Here's what we do know. Matthew tells us a little bit about them. Matthew and Luke give us the most information about the birth of Jesus. And this is what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. says this, Jesus was, what's that word say? Born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now that statement right there, I wish I had time to get into this, just kind of really dive into the significance of that. We talked about it a little bit last week, but the fact that Jesus was born, born, that means what God said was going to happen, happened. The Messiah, the Savior of the world was born. And, and, and we don't, we don't talk about, we talk about that a lot, but we don't talk about the where. And we don't talk about the, like what the, the significance of that really was. Because we just think, oh, Bethlehem is great. We can go on vacation to Israel and we can tour the Holy Land and we'll go to Bethlehem and we'll see this. But like, it, it wasn't a place anybody went to. It wasn't a place anybody thought about. Most people hadn't even heard of it. It, it would be like, like Bethlehem was legit in the middle of nowhere. It was like a hick town. And out of all the places in the world that Jesus could be born, he picked Bethlehem. And you might say, well, Ryan, how can you help us understand that today? Very simple. Let's say Jesus was born in the United States. He wasn't. All right. Do not run out of here and say, my pastor said he's born in the United States and blah, blah, blah. blah, blah." No, I'm not saying that. But hypothetically, if he was born in the United States, that sentence would be equivalent to saying out of all the places he could have been born, it would say Jesus was born and bared. Does that track with anybody? Does that translate like, is that, is that like middle of nowhere, right? Nobody thinks about it. And so Jesus is born in this small town in Judea during the reign of King Herod. That's super important. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, let me cover a couple things here because this is cool. And I'll show you how it works out in our culture today. Wise men 
Some translations say astrologers or astronomers, because that's what they were. They were astrologers. They were people that looked at, studied, and worshipped the stars. Now, if you know anything at all about the Old Testament, you know that was a no-no. You weren't supposed to do that. You were not supposed to worship the stars. And so that's strike number one. The second thing that we see is it says that they arrived from eastern lands. Most scholars believe this is modern-day Iran or Iraq. So they're not Jewish. So in this context, in today's context, we would say they're not Christians. And so let's play this out for a second. In the Christmas story, the Christmas story, the manger scenes that, that we have at our house, that we celebrate at Christmas, in the Christmas story, you have ungodly people doing ungodly things. I wonder, just today, how many people we have in the room that have done ungodly things. And don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't point. <laughs> but there's some of us who have done some ungod- ungodly things. Yes or no? See, here's what's crazy. According to the Old Testament, this is why it's ungodly. They were not supposed to worship the stars. And so God could have seen them. God could have gotten upset. And God could have sent a prophet. And God could have said, hey, knock it off. Quit worshiping the stars. But you know what he did? He did the same thing for them that he's done for every single one of us. He met them exactly where they were. Listen, don't miss this. He did not expect non-Christians to act like Christians. He didn't. He just met them where they were. He said, you know what? They're worshiping the stars. That's all right. I'm going to meet them exactly where they are in the mess that they're in. And can you imagine the angels I can imagine like God just looking at them and the angels seeing God looking at them and the angels being like, oh my gosh, God's getting ready to lower the boom. He's going to lower the boom. He's going to lower the boom. Like they're messing up. They shouldn't be doing that. And God goes, hey, I think we can use this because this is where they are. This is where Jesus is. Let's just use this star to draw them to Jesus. He uses the star. Ungodly people doing ungodly things and God's using it. They show up in Jerusalem in verse 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. In other words, they didn't just see it. They were drawn to Jesus. Isn't that your story? That you were drawn? There was a process. God used somebody or something to draw you to him. I know that's what he did for me. What was it? What was it for you? What drew you to Jesus? What is the thing that keeps drawing you to Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit draws us. Listen to me. We do not just find Jesus. We're not just walking along one day and we trip. Oh my, it's the savior of the universe. Like, oh. Like, 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 like the wise men were drawn. We are drawn. And he can use anyone or anything to draw him to himself. What drew you to Jesus? What drew you to Jesus? Let me ask you this question. What is it that drew you to this place? To central church, other than the free t-shirt. Like, like, what is it? What is it that drew you here? What is it that keeps you coming here? I heard this story not too long ago. I asked somebody, why'd you start coming to central? And they said, oh, things were not going good for me. I was in a bad place, in a bad way. And my life was like way screwed up. But then I heard about you. Not messed up you are. And I was like, I can go to that church. I was like, oh, great, thanks. But, but you know what? I'm fine with it. You know why? 
Because we created this type of environment where messy people can show up and meet Jesus. Listen to me. This church is not a spiritual gym where the spiritually mature show up and flex their spiritual muscles. It's a triage for broken people who understand if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us would even be breathing today. Amen? So these guys show up. They're not even Christians. And they're like, tell us about the Messiah. And then the Bible says this, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed. Everybody say deeply. Deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, we've all heard things that have deeply disturbed us, like deeply. I'm not talking bothered, deeply disturbed. But this didn't just bother Herod. It deeply disturbed him because he had his mind set on his kingdom. In his mind, he was the king of the Jews. As a matter of fact, you go back and research this. He, he was given the title king of the Jews. And so when they show up and they're like, hey, where's this baby to be born? King of the Jews. He's like, I'm right here. I'm not a baby, but, but I'm here. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he's upset. And he wasn't the only one who was disturbed. Everyone in Jerusalem was. And, and here's why. In their minds, they thought the Messiah, they thought Jesus was going to be a political Messiah that reestablished the kingdom of David. And to them, that would have been a big deal. Because when King David ruled, things were awesome. Things were clicking. Life was great. And so that's what they wanted, reestablish the kingdom of David. But God's plans are always bigger. Let me show you what I mean. Check out this map. This was their vision. That's the kingdom of David. That's when David ruled. That's what it looked like. That was their vision. Reestablish the kingdom of David. If God could just do that, that would be awesome for them. And, and they prayed for that. God, this is what we want. God, this is my prayer. God, this is what I'm asking for. God, these are my plans. This is what they wanted. But God wanted to do immeasurably more. Because this was their vision. This is God's vision. The reason I would tell you that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, this is why. Because these are your plans. These are God's plans. You you see them in there? You see this is a little speck of Israel? All they wanted was that little kingdom. But God is way bigger than that. Like, Like these are your ways right here. These are God's ways. This is what we would want for our church. This is what God wants for his church. Look, look, you can't accomplish that. You can accomplish this. If you work really hard, you could probably accomplish this. But why would we settle for this when we could have that? See, you, you can't accomplish that believing in yourself. But you can accomplish that believing in the power of God working in you and through you. And you might say, well, Pastor Ryan, God's not going to work for me because I'm not that godly. You know what? Neither were the wise men. And here we are talking about them over 2,000 years later. They weren't scripturally knowledgeable. They just said, hey, something's drawing us. And we need to go in that direction. And watch what happens. This fascinates me. This is amazing. Verse 4, Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the law. That's huge. It's all the religious people get together. The leading priest, the teachers of the religious, religious law, and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In other words, they have a Bible study. Now, the wise men weren't allowed to come into the Bible study because they couldn't come into, like, the Christian environment. So they had to stay outside. But the religious leaders, the religious leaders, and the leading priest, like the top of the top in the religious category, get together, have a Bible study about the Messiah. And watch what happens. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd for my people Israel. So they find out from non-Christian people, the religious people, find out from non-Christian people who are doing non-Christian things about the Messiah, they have a Bible study, and they realize, yep, supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and then they, they, they like, this, 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 this to me is absolutely crazy. It's crazy. They have this Bible study. The people who get together know the scriptures, but they miss the Savior. The religious people know the scriptures, but they miss the Savior. And if you've ever been church hurt, you know what I'm talking about when I say church hurt? If you've ever been church hurt, more than likely you were hurt by a group of people that knew the scriptures, but missed the Savior. Because here's what's crazy. Bethlehem is only six miles away from Jerusalem. Only six miles away. And so think about this. They weren't even willing to go that far. They weren't even willing to go six miles to meet Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Is that crazy, yes or no? How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? That's probably another message for another time. Because watch this, verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the, when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. You ever meet anybody shady? Don't point. Don't, again, don't point. Herod was shady. See, when you look at this, Herod's like, hey, go find that baby. And when you find him, you come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. That's what I'm going to do. But don't miss this. They never agreed with Herod that that's what they would do. And it's a really good thing because had they agreed with him, he would have killed them. Well, no about that, Pastor Ryan. Well, when they didn't do it, I'll go into this in a minute. When they didn't do it, he wound up killing every child in the vicinity that was two years old and under. He killed them all. Like Herod was evil. Herod was vicious, which all of that to say this, and I said this a few weeks ago, and, and this has just really been sticking with me, and I think it's a really important message for our church. Be careful with who you make agreements with. Be careful with who you make agreements with. There are too many people in this room, too many people watching online right now. You have made agreements with the enemy, and these are some of the agreements that you've made. I'm too far gone. It's too late. I'm too messed up. I'm too addicted. There's no hope for me. I've walked away for too long. Those are agreements you made with the enemy that you need to break today. And listen, you can't break those agreements on your own, but the power of God working in you and through you can break anything that the enemy has tried to place on you. Amen? And so Herod... He, he, he's kind of setting them up, and they leave. And then verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided, the, guided them to Bethlehem. So they followed the star. They almost get sidetracked by religion, but they didn't get to Bethlehem through Jerusalem. They had to go around Jerusalem. They didn't. There's a huge message in this. Don't miss it. They had to go around religion to get there. So the star went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if God just did that for us today? God, where am I supposed to work? Oh, a star. I'll follow. God, who am I supposed to marry? Oh, a star. Oh, a star. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, 
If you get that, let me know. So they see the star, leads them straight to Jesus. Watch this, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were angry. Doesn't say that, does it? When they saw the star, they were what? Filled with joy. You got some excited wise men right here. Verse 11, they entered, what's that next word say? Come on, everybody say it together. I know you see it. They entered the what? The what? They entered the manger scene. <laughs> they entered the and I know you get so mad at me when I do this. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, now think about this from Mary's standpoint. Let's just use a hypothetical right here. Moms, you can identify with this. Dads, we're clueless to this right here. All right, moms, let's just say you finally got the baby to sleep, hypothetically, all right? We, we don't know how b- baby Jesus was. I'm going to guarantee you, though, that he wasn't always smiling, had a halo around his head, right? And not ever freaking out, losing his dang mind. He's a baby. I guarantee you at least two times he blew his diaper out. I am guarantee you at least seven times he lost his dang baby mind. And so let's just say... Little baby Jesus, a little bit fussy. Little baby Jesus, a little bit colicky. Little bit, little baby Jesus, he a little bit upset. And you finally get the baby to sleep. And you lay the baby down. And moms, you walk over to the couch and you sit down and you're like, if anyone makes a sound and wakes that baby, I am going to kill them. Hypothetically speaking, right? I'm just saying, maybe I've seen it once or twice. I'm just, just saying. And so you're there. And all of a sudden you hear, stop. And you go to the door and you open the door. And there are people there that you don't know, ungodly people that you don't know. And they say, can we come in and see the baby? There's not a mom in this room is going, yeah, come on in. No. But for some reason, Mary lets them in. And when they see the baby, they break open their treasure chest and start giving gold. That's where every mom changes their mind, right? You're going to wake the baby. Oh, you want me to rename the baby? What's your name? I don't know. They start giving. They start giving. And for me, the reason this has always struck me is because when you meet Jesus... And Jesus begins to do a change in your life. Eventually, he gets control of all of your life, even the way that you give. That's what happened to me. How many of you know when we meet Jesus, we say, I surrender all? How many of you know that? But we really don't. We don't. It's a process. Now, some people surrender some things quicker than others, and some things take longer than other things. Like, it took me years to surrender the area of giving in my life. Years. I'd be like, I'll give when there's a need. I'll give when there's a need. Or I'll give to this. Or I'll give to that. And and listen, my wife and I, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just telling you to let you know, we, we gave a lot. But it wasn't surrendered giving. Finally... Listen, remember a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, I told you that when two people are seeking Jesus, two people in a relationship are seeking Jesus, and they're listening to God, God will speak one thing to one person, and eventually he'll speak it to the other person, and they get on the same page. And, and, and finally, finally, I had to surrender that. Finally, I got to that point. And, and let me tell you what caused me to finally surrender that area. Now, these are my reasons. 
All right, these don't have to be your reasons. You need to have your own reasons, but these are, these are mine. I'm going to give you the reasons that I give. And when I say give, yes, I'm talking about giving financially. And don't run out of here saying, oh, so the church ever does is talks about money. That's all he preaches about. It. Listen, this is only like, I think, the second time all year I've even mentioned money from stage or giving. All right? So these are my reasons. And it's in the text that these guys gave, so I'm going to share with you this thing. Number one is because I want to become more like Jesus. I do. How many people know that if you were standing next to Jesus right now, that nobody would mistake the two of you for twins? I don't know, Pastor Ryan, the beard, and I'm sure he's got an ugly cat sweater. No! Like, like I like to think that I'm making spiritual progress in my journey. I'm growing. I know I'm growing. I know I'm not the same as I was two years ago. I, I know I'm doing good things. But I still got some work to do. I'm still a work in progress. Because while I can do really good... Sometimes I face a setback. Anybody ever face a setback? Anyone be honest? Face a setback? My setback was Wednesday. Wednesday. I realized that I was out of ugly Christmas sweaters. And I needed to get one for Central Church. Because I got to do this ridiculous stuff for you. And so, really it's for me. But anyway, and so I'm going to go to Walmart. Go, Chloe and I, my daughter, we go to Walmart here in Carroll. Walmart's all sold out. And it's snowing. It's when the snowstorm was happening. It was bad. The roads were horrible. And, and my daughter says, hey, Boone's not that far. Let's go to Walmart and Boone. I'm like, Chloe, it's bad. And she's like, oh, you're in the Jeep. You can make it. I just drove all the way home from Northwestern. You can handle it. And I'm like, all right, I can handle this. And so two hours later, we're in Boone Walmart. And Boone Walmart has absolutely nothing. And so my wonderful, beautiful, loving little girl says, we should go to Ames. There are two Walmarts in Ames. And I'm like, Chloe, no, the roads are horrible. And she says, but there's good food in Ames. I said, oh, you got me there. <laughs> and so 45 minutes later, we're, we're, we're about to get off in Ames. And we say, where do you want to, we're talking about where we're going to eat. Now, Poncheros is a 100% go-to for me there. Anybody else, Poncheros? I love Poncheros. Double steak, burrito with some guacamole. Yes, I know guacamole costs extra, lady. You don't have to tell me all the time. Just put it, make my money's worth of guacamole on the burrito. Anyway, let's focus. Um, and so Poncheros. And so Poncheros is what we're going to do. And so we get off on Dove and we're Poncheros, Poncheros, Poncheros. And we're getting close, but... Out in the distance, like a star in the night, is the Texas Roadhouse sign. Now, my little girl loves Texas Roadhouse. That's her favorite thing in the world. So she says, what about Texas Roadhouse, Dad? And I was like, I don't know, Chloe. Why don't you flip a coin? And so she pulls out her stupid iPhone. Nobody in my house has a droid except for me, man. Everybody's a loser. Anyway, um, so she pulls it out. She says, Siri, flip a coin. Siri says, tails. Now, we never established what was what. And so now we say, all right, heads, Poncheros, tails, Texas Roadhouse. So she says, Siri, flip a coin. Heads, it's Poncheros. Chloe says, two out of three. And so she says, Siri, flip a coin. It's heads, Poncheros. Chloe says, three out of seven. Siri, flip a coin. Heads, what are we supposed to eat? Where are we supposed to go? Where are we supposed to go? Poncheros. God is laying out Poncheros. Where do we go? Texas Roadhouse. This is where the whole story falls apart right here. 
Every time I go to Texas Roadhouse, every time, I don't even look at the menu. I'll just tell them, bring me the biggest ribeye you have cooked medium rare. Like that, that's it. Go get the big ribeye, bring it out, medium rare. Every time we go there, my wife and daughter get a sirloin. Every single time, like a sirloin is the roadkill of steaks. It just is. But, but they get it every time. And here's the thing. Every time they get it, it looks fantastic and it tastes incredible. And, 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 and I always walk out of there disappointed in my ribeye. And so I say tonight, Chloe, I'm going to get the sirloin. I'm going to do it. And so I order the sirloin. They bring out our food. They bring out Chloe's, Chloe's steak, and it's thick. And she cuts into it, and it goes, Mraw. I look at mine. I kid you not. It is this thin. And I cut into that thing, and it was like the bottom of my shoe. I don't complain. I don't complain about food because I'm terrified. Like if I complain about food, then they're going to they're gonna do something stupid to it in the back. They're going to throw it on the floor. They're going to spit on it. And I'm terrified because that's what I would do if you complained about food that I made for you. And so I'm like, I'm not going to do it because I had chili and the chili was ice cold. But I didn't complain about the chili because I was waiting for my sirloin steak. This was going to be phenomenal. But I couldn't do it. And so I call this girl over and I'm like, hey, check out this steak. She's like, oh, that's like over well done. She's like, you want me to get you another one? No, I just wanted you to look at it. Yes, please, give me another one. She goes, she takes it back. It is like almost 20 minutes later. I don't have a steak. Other people's food all around me is coming out. I call the girl over and I'm like, hey, or no, actually she comes over. She's like, anything else I can get you? Yeah, my steak. She's like, oh, we're still cooking that. A manager is going to bring it out for you. 30 minutes pass. The manager comes out. She puts the steak in front of me. She's like, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm going to take a couple dollars off your meal. But before I go do that, will you cut into your steak and make sure it's okay? I take my fork. When I touch it with my fork, it's like jello. I'm like, oh, this can't be good. I cut into it. It is purple inside. She says, oh, that's not good. I'm like, no, this is not good. She's like, do you want me to make you another one? In my mind, I completely lost it. Like I blew up and I'm all like, no, the roads are bad. And, and, and out loud, I just said, no, the, the roads are bad. Like, I, I just want to go. And she's like, okay, I will go adjust your bill. She comes back over and she, <laughs> she took half off of my meal for the bill. And I'm like, like, I didn't even eat anything but some fries and some cold chili. And, and, I, and I'm just looking at Chloe and Chloe's like, Staring at me like, what are you going to do, pastor? <laughs> like, what's, what's going to happen in, in this moment? And I'm like, it's fine. Like, it's paid. And, and, and we're leaving. Now, before we got there, we were talking about, Chloe was talking about when she goes out to eat at college with her friends and they break up stuff and how to tip. And she was talking about tipping and stuff like that. And we're walking outside and she's like, did you tip? I'm like, I did. I did. She's like, did you tip well? I was like, I I did. I did. She's like, why? They messed up your food. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just that thing that when I give, even when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, something, something happens to me spiritually. It, it helps me to become, or at least feel, more like Jesus. Because the Bible said that God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. So giving, when I give, tangibly helps me become more like Jesus. That's number one. Number two, I'm able to invest in what matters to Jesus. 
I'm able to invest in what matters to Jesus. Now, I got a question for you. You have to be honest. You're at Central. You can be honest here. It's a safe place to, to say you're not okay. It's, it's cool. Um, how many of you know? I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. Um, some of you are going to get very mad at me. Probably half of you are going to get upset. You got to hold on. Don't get super upset. Just hold on. Trust me. I'm going to land the plane. How many of you know that occasionally, maybe, like maybe you might have heard a story or two, that occasionally some women can be a little bit crazy? How many of you know that? Don't point. Don't point. Look how fast the man hands went up. See that? Women, don't judge me. I know some of you are saying, what about the men? It's called crazy cat lady, not crazy cat man. You ever heard crazy cat man? Anyway, ladies, listen, you can be mad at me and judge me, but I've heard you say on more than one occasion, I don't understand her. She's crazy. Talk about another woman. Am I right? Now, if you're married, if you're married, you know that occasionally crazy happens. Am I right? Don't answer out loud. I can feel the amens coming. (laughs) Here's the point. Crazy doesn't mean that we throw everything out. The reason I say this, the reason I set this up like this is because the church is called the bride of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. And so with that, let me ask you this question. In the past 2000 years, has the bride been a little bit crazy? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. The crusades, beautiful example, the church missing the point. The inquisitions, yeah, like picketing, all that protesting, all that stuff. Like the church has been crazy, but you know what? The church is still God's plan to change the world. It is. The church is still God's plan to change the world. If it wasn't for, this is just a side note. If it wasn't for the church, orphanages wouldn't exist. Like You you could research this historically. If not for the church, hospitals wouldn't exist. Listen, those things weren't started by government organizations that had great ideas. They were started by a group of people who believed in Jesus, believed in their word, believed in his power working in them and through them that actually took a step of faith to make a difference in the world. And we're still seeing that difference being made today. So I give because I'm able to give what matters to Jesus, his bride, his church. Now, the third reason is because it paves the way for blessing. It, it does. Like when you give, you get blessed. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that. Like I'm not the prosperity guy. I'm not like the guy you've seen on TV. I can do the guy you've seen on TV. I can. I can do it. Brothers and sisters, ah, some of you right now where you're at, I can feel it. I can feel it. God's speaking a word to me. I know that some of you right now, you're dealing, you're dealing, you're dealing with some pain in your back. Really, dude? Seriously? Everybody got pain in their back. Some of you got pain in your body. You're having some troubles. I said some troubles. I said some trouble. I said some trouble in your family. Can you get any more general than that? Like for real? You got some trouble in your family. And so right now, this is what I want you to do. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, hear me now, hear me now, hear me now. Reach out your hand and just touch the TV. Touch the TV. Just touch the TV screen. God is speaking a word to me. If you just sow a seed, just sow a seed. Oh, hang on. He's telling me right now. He's telling me right now. Right now, if you sow a seed of a thousand dollars, God will set you free. 
See, I can do it. Some of you are like, that's drastically close. I'm telling you, man, I don't believe those guys. I don't. I don't believe they're real. They don't do that when they go to Texas Roadhouse. They don't talk like that, do they? Waitress comes up to the table. Hi, what can I get you? Lady, you can give me a, a well-done ribeye. Because those idiots would only get their meat well done. A well-done ribeye. And some mashed potatoes. And a side of gravy. And some green beans. And a sweet tea flow like honey. I'm not down with that. I'm not. Like if that happened in Texas Roadhouse, I'd get up and walk out. Because I'm like, God's about to strike somebody down. I won't get hit with no shrapnel. I'm not that guy. I'm about to pass out right now. <laughs> My son's sitting back there thinking you're an idiot. I was at church one time. And the pastor said, you know, I was reading Psalm 64. And I just feel like if a hundred people would give $64, God would bless this house. I looked at a friend that was with me. I was like, man, he just missed the point. My friend's like, what did he miss? I was like, there's 139 chapters in Psalm. If he's trying to get some money, he needs to get out of chapter 64, get into 139, double his money. That's the way my mind works anyway. I don't know. Listen, I'm not the guy that says if you give $10, God will give you a hundred. I'm not the guy who says if you give a hundred dollars, God will give you a thousand. Not that guy. I don't believe that. But you know what? I'm close. You know why? Because I've never given a dime that I missed and that God didn't bless me on. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. He will just bless you. Watch what happens when these wise men give. Ungodly people doing ungodly things. They meet Herod, and Herod's like, come back and tell me. Come back and tell me where the baby is. By the way, that's what the enemy's always trying to do. Get you to come back. Get you to come back. Get you to come back and do the things you used to be doing before you met Jesus. The enemy always wants you to come back. You getting this? The enemy always wants us to come back the way that we came. But watch what happens when they meet Jesus. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. You know why? Because you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. Jesus will always put you on another route. Always. You know why he does that? Because he loves us too much for us to do it on our own. If we settle for our plans, immeasurably less. When we surrender to Jesus, we will always see immeasurably more. Because in Jesus, the best is always yet to come. For God warned them in a dream. What? See, up, up until this point, God spoke to them through a star. They meet Jesus. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. They meet Jesus, and the communication gets more personal. Now he's speaking to them through dreams. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't meet Jesus and stay on the same path. It's a spiritually impossibility because Jesus always changes us. Always change. And listen to me. Jesus changes us for the better. That's the story of my life. That's the story of many people in this room. And that's the story of Christmas. It's time that you meet him. It's time that you surrender to him. What is it this Christmas season he's asking you to surrender? Listen to me. The power of God in you and through you will allow you to do exactly what he has called you to do. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you.
and we praise you. God, we're thankful for all that you've done in our lives. God, some of us in this room, we're, we're not where we thought we would be. We're not where we could have been. And I pray that you would fill each person with hope. God, we understand the past can't be changed, but the future can be immeasurably more. And so, God, I, I pray that you fill us with that faith today. Faith to believe you and your word. God, we know that you clearly spoke in your word, and we ask that you would clearly speak to us. I pray, God, that we would come alive with faith today. Faith unlike anything we've ever experienced before. We're going to close this service by singing a, a little melody of Christmas carols. And during the song, if you need prayer, if there's anything going on in your life, you feel like there's some things you need to surrender, some things that are happening, some ways that God might be speaking to you that you don't understand. Well, if people in the back corners of the sanctuary who would love to pray with you and for you, who are here just for you, just to pray with you. If that's you, you feel the freedom to do that. I want us to leave this place singing these songs because I want us to be filled with the joy of Christmas. I want us to, to leave out of here understanding that we can do anything that God has called us to do. And that includes inviting boldly, inviting people to church because we really do believe this is a place where the gospel is preached and people can meet Jesus and, and, and encounter real life change. So Jesus, we give you this time and ask you to move in ways only you can. Touch your people through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.